0: As was read, I would like to open to Philippians chapter one. So, Paul's letter to the Philippians opens with a prayer. The first Eight verses are Paul's prayer in which he expresses thanksgiving, followed by petitions in verses 9 through 11. And the particular portion of Paul's prayer that I want us to focus on is found in verses 5 and 6, where Paul is thanking God for the fellowship in the gospel that he experiences with the saints at Philippi. So I want to think of that uh, expression, fellowship in the gospel. So the word fellowship, from the original word koinonia, it can have several different nuances based upon the context. Here, I believe Paul is particularly thanking God for the Philippians' partnership in the advancement of the gospel. So he's thanking God, verse 3, upon every remembrance of the saints. 4, verse 5, for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So the focus of his thanksgiving and, and much of this letter is to express his deep appreciation to God for their partnership, their fellowship, their financial support, their prayers on behalf of his ministry so that the gospel might go forward. So verse 5 captures what he is thankful for. And then verse 6, we find the basis for their fellowship in the gospel, and that is the work of God. So that's the two points I want us to observe this morning. Uh, Thanksgiving for fellowship in the gospel and God's work that makes fellowship in the gospel um, a reality. Before we jump into those two points, we first must understand again, we must remind ourselves of what the gospel is. In order to have fellowship in the gospel, we must know what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news. It's the good news of salvation that has come to us that have placed our faith in Christ. It is the the work of God in Christ to redeem us so that we might be forgiven, that we might be justified before God, reconciled to God. The the Gospel is um, expressed for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. the, The basic facts of the Gospel. As Paul closes out this letter... He is dealing with the resurrection of the body. And in order to understand the resurrection of the body, we have to understand how Christ Himself was raised from the dead. So in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain." For I delivered unto you, first of all. Then notice the that statements that that outlines for us the gospel. This gospel that I delivered unto you consists of this that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. Because you and I are sinners, we deserve God's just punishment. How can God forgive us? How can we be reconciled to God? It is by Jesus dying for our sins. Dying in our place. So Jesus died for our sins. How do we know that Jesus died for our sins? Verse 4, that he was buried. He was buried because he died. Then notice the next that statement that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So the Gospel, Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised again according to the Scriptures. How do we know that Jesus was verse 5? Paul wrote, and that he was seen of the different witnesses that he expresses. So the Gospel is foundationally, fundamentally, that Jesus died for our sins so that we might be brought to God in a saving relationship. And it's this gospel that we receive. It's this gospel that we continue to stand steadfast in. It is this gospel that we keep in memory. We hold to the good news of of salvation. Or as Paul expresses the gospel in Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 12 and 13. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom? In Christ ye also trusted. When did you trust? After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel of your salvation. The gospel reveals how we can be saved through Christ Jesus. And when we embrace Christ by faith, we receive that salvation that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. It is this Gospel that the Philippians had believed. It's this Christ that they had trusted in. To understand again more about this Gospel, turn over to Romans chapter 1. Observe how Paul begins the letter to the saints at Rome. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. It's the gospel of our salvation because it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God because the gospel originates with God. The gospel comes from God. It is by divine revelation. You and I did not discover how we can be saved through creation. It's not because of some um, uh, philosophical um, um, investigation that we've made. The Gospel is of God because God has revealed And it's the Gospel of God because it's about God. It originates with God and it's about God. Then notice how he goes on to talk about this Gospel. Which? Which Gospel... God had promised a four by His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So it's not some new message that Paul had invented. It was an ancient message of antiquity that was based upon God's divine revelation. It's grounded in the Holy Scriptures. What is the Gospel concerning? Verse 3, it's concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Gospel, again, is not about man It's about Jesus. It's not about how man earns favor with God. It's how God is reconciled to sinners through His Son. So the Gospel is all about Jesus. It concerns His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So this gospel that concerns Jesus reveals both His deity and His humanity. And then in verse 5, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. So God brings, brings people from all nations to faith by the proclamation of the gospel. The obedience of faith. And again, that, that expression is, can, uh, it, it is somewhat ambiguous. The obedience of faith. It can mean that the obedience that is under consideration is faith. Romans 10, 16. You've obeyed the gospel. It also speaks of an obedience that flows out of faith. And both are correct. We are to believe the Gospel. We are to be obedient to the divine revelation of God, trusting in Christ. And once we trust in Christ, there is a life of what flows out of faith. And what is the great purpose of proclaiming this Gospel so that the nations become obedient to the faith? It is for His name. It is for the name of Christ so that Christ is exalted. Christ is magnified. Christ is held in awe by peoples of the world. The Gospel. The fellowship that is in the Gospel. Romans 1.16 Paul goes on to express this about the Gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein... In the Gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the Gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. How we who are unrighteous can be made righteous. How can we this morning be right with God? Is there a more monumental, important question to be asked? No. To be right with God. How can I be right with God? It is through The imputed righteousness of Christ by faith receiving the the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account that enables us to be right with God. So Paul is thanking God for the fellowship that he has in the Gospel with the Philippians. This Gospel that they partnered with Paul in proclaiming. and this is important. It's important to be reminded and to understand that in order to receive value in participating in the spread of the Gospel, we must first appropriate the Gospel for ourselves. Wouldn't it be a, a great travesty and horror to be involved in some type of activity where the gospel is going forth and never having appropriated the gospel personally for salvation for ourselves. So this gospel that God reveals is to be believed. Jesus in Mark chapter 1, it is said of Him that He came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand, saying, repent and believe the gospel. Trust in Christ for salvation. Believe the gospel. Colossians 2.6, the saints at Colossae had received the gospel. How about you this morning? Have you believed the gospel? Have you come to the place? Have you come to the end of yourself, seeing that you have no righteousness before God? Recognizing that you have no way to merit God's favor, His, His goodness. You have no other way to be right with God other than placing your complete trust in Christ alone. The Philippians that Paul is writing to, they had fellowship, notice, in the Gospel, in the sphere of the Gospel, because they had believed the Gospel. They had trusted in Christ. There was fellowship in the Gospel, Paul writes, from the first day until now. So before they began to participate in the spread of the gospel, they first believed the gospel. Even as we go back to Acts chapter 16, where we heard read earlier, Paul is led by the Spirit of God to Philippi. And the banner of Christ now will be, will be raised in Macedonia, what we would know as Europe. And when Paul comes to, he joins a little prayer meeting outside of town, 16:13. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont, where it was normally made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia. A seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. And when she was baptized, so she believed the gospel. She believed in Christ. We know that because she was baptized. And she was was baptized because God was at work opening her heart. So here was this, this sweet little lady at a prayer meeting. And God saved her. God saved her. As she had her heart open to embrace Christ. What what an amazing beginning here we see of this church that's being planted by God. Think of the contrast between Lydia and the jailer that we read of later in the chapter. What a contrast. And this ought to be a great encouragement to all of us this morning. To know that God saves all of us who are sinners in different contexts, with different backgrounds. Here's a jailer, here is a pagan, a very man. And as Paul and Silas are are praising God at midnight, having been locked up because of their faith in Christ, an earthquake shakes the foundations and the, the prisoners are released. And maybe it was a combination of the jailer recognizing who this God was that Paul was singing to, praying to, proclaiming. Along with the earthquake which caused the jailer to tremble before the, the, the presence of this God that Paul and Silas must worship. There was terror in his heart. And he cries out, how can I be saved? What must I do? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus. And thou shalt be saved, and thy house and the jailer, those in his household believed in Christ and they were saved and they were baptized. And and now there is a congregation at Philippi, a church is planted. God is at work. He's saving the sweet little lady at the prayer meeting, He's saving the the rugged, cruel jailer who was pagan. God is doing this. That's a good reminder whether we have been raised in a Christian environment and we are or Pharisees that are deserving of God just punishment, or we've lived in the streets, we've been, we've been pagan, we've been rebellious, living a, a vile, wicked life. It's the same grace, it's the same Christ that saves us all. At this point in redemptive history, by the way, if you're wondering, well, she's worshiping with the... With the coming of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, with the ascension of the um, uh, with the with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, faith in Christ is is necessary. So no longer are New Testament saints trusting simply in, in Jehovah of the Old Testament. In this point in redemptive history, God has made known to us that that faith in Christ. It's necessary in order to be saved. And God here is drawing His people to Himself through the Holy Spirit working through His Word. So there was fellowship in the Gospel because there was a belief in the Gospel. There was a a trusting in Christ. There was a receiving of the Gospel. Treasuring Christ, loving Christ. So Paul could write this letter. By the way, he's writing this letter from imprisonment, not in Philippi, but he now is at Rome. And he's writing this letter and he's thanking God for their fellowship in the gospel. First of all, because God enabled them to believe the gospel. But with the belief in the gospel comes an opportunity to spread the gospel. To spread the gospel. Years ago, when I was living in Georgia, we had uh, a doctor in our little hometown that had made up this concoction that my dad always had a bottle of in the medicine cabinet. And it would heal anything burns, scrapes, it would take off warts, clean up acne. And we gave it the term Pappy's cream because that's what the grandchildren called Pappy. And whenever there was a problem, we would go and get some of Pappy's cream. And it was so it was so potent that when other people were suffering with some type of skin problem we would tell them about pappy's cream of course we told them they would have to get their own cream couldn't use pappy's cream out of his medicine cabinet but we 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 told others about pappy's cream because we believed it was potent we had experienced it for ourselves and my friends if you have experienced the 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 potency the the life giving Blood cleansing, efficacy of, of Christ's blood. How can we remain silent? How can we keep this message to ourselves? Well, the Philippians had experienced, they had appropriated the saving grace of Christ, and now they were proclaiming that message or joining in with Paul in proclaiming that message. And I believe that's the... the Primary point that Paul is making in verse 5. For your fellowship, your koinonia, your partnership, your participation in the Gospel from the first day until now. When you believe that Gospel, Jesus was so precious to you that all you wanted to do was proclaim it to others. You know, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaketh. And if if Jesus is the treasure of our heart and we can grow in our love for Christ and the Holy Spirit will enable us to, to have our heart enlarged for how beautiful and wonderful Jesus is, we won't have to go through some type of steps to try and learn how to evangelize. It'll just flow naturally. In fact, if you listen long enough to people's conversation, you'll find out what they treasure. That's what Jesus taught us. So what we want the Spirit of God to do is magnify Jesus in our estimation so that our communication about Jesus just flows. Our our mouth opens and Jesus comes out. So the Philippians, from the the time of their conversion, they begin to participate in, in seeing this gospel advanced. Now, let me give you a couple of reasons why I believe that's what Paul has under consideration. If you turn over to Philippians 4, well, at the end of the letter it really gets to, um, to the point where he unpacks more, or at least a, a large reason why he was writing to the Philippians. So in verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Ran, you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 14, notwithstanding you have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. The root word there is koinonia, fellowship. Now ye Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia... No church communicated, koinonia, with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So from the time Paul left Philippi, the Philippians were were helping Paul advance the gospel. They were praying for Paul. They were contributing financially so that the gospel could go forward. No church communicated with me, What do you mean, Paul, by communicated? I mean giving and receiving. You were giving to me. I was receiving what you were providing. So the Philippians had a great burden for this gospel to be advanced, so they were contributing to Paul's ministry. This word fellowship, koinonia, is also used in other letters to speak of, of financial prayer support for... The needy, for instance, in Second Corinthians chapter eight. Remember in Second Corinthians, Paul is, is encouraging the church to make up a contribution, a financial gift to the saints at Jerusalem? He uses this same term, second Corinthians chapter eight verse four. Praying much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take the fellowship of the ministering to the saints the koinonia of the ministering to the saints that that you would participate in this financial gift to the poor saints at Jerusalem again in second corinthians 9 in verse 13 was well, by the experiment of this ministration they glorified God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. Distribution, koinonia. Um, I can see some of you are still not convinced. Romans chapter 15. No, I can't see that. But Romans 15. Many think that Paul was actually writing the letter to the Romans to, to assure the Romans of the gospel that he proclaimed because he's calling upon them in chapter 15 to help advance the gospel to Spain by supporting His ministry. And in order for them to support His ministry, He lays out this very clear doctrinal letter concerning salvation. And He closes out in in Romans 15, um, pick up in verse 24, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, and it hath pleased them of Macedon and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Contribution, Cornania. And I believe that's what Paul has in mind in Philippians. He's thanking God that throughout his ministry, the Philippians have been concerned for the advancement of this gospel. And one way they are participating in the fellowship in the gospel was by proclaiming or, 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 or assisting Paul in its proclamation. And they had done this. Participated in the fellowship in the gospel from the very point at which they were converted. So you can understand why Paul is so thankful for them. In Acts chapter 18, if you'll study the opening part of that chapter, Paul is is, um, making tents at Athens. But then some of his brothers show up from Macedonia, Philippi. And the gospel begins to go wild. Because... Paul again is receiving financial support from the Philippians. He's not just tent making. He's not just preaching and tent making. Now he's just preaching. He's pressed in the Spirit and he's got freedom to proclaim his word. In Philippians 2, again, notice how the Philippians were engaged in the advancement of the gospel. Verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. So Paul's in prison. The saints at Philippi send Epaphroditus. They've been supporting Paul's ministry from the beginning. They're still supporting him while he's in prison. He's in prison, and oftentimes in that day and time, in order to receive food, clothing, it had to be provided by those outside of the prison. So Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi to assist him. Verse 30, Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his lie, your lack of service toward me. Thank God for their fellowship in the Gospel. They appropriated the benefits, the saving benefits of the Gospel, and now... They have a great longing to assist Paul in the advancement of the gospel. And then, the second point, verse 6. God's work. God's work. The reason there was fellowship in the gospel is because, ultimately, of what God had and was doing. Being confident of this very thing. What are you confident of, Paul? That... He which hath begun a good work in you until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul believes they're going to continue to participate in the advancement of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel, because of what God has and will do. And that's our confidence this morning, right? We have no confidence in the flesh. (laughs) We, 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 We must not have confidence in the flesh. We have confidence in God. That's a a mark of spiritual um, circumcision, regeneration. Philippians 3. We have no confidence in the flesh, but rather we we rejoice in Christ Jesus. We boast in Christ Jesus. We don't boast in self. So Paul is confident of this very thing, that, referring to God, that He which hath begun a good work in you. There's fellowship in the gospel because of what God has started in the Philippians. And to whatever degree that you and I are appropriating the benefits of Christ, saving a message and, and advancing that, it's, it's because of what God has done in us. I love the message of salvation, right? The study of salvation, so, teriology, it's, 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 it's very comprehensive. Because we could, and we have already referred to what Christ has done for us. He died for our sins. Jesus did of us. That's justification. So we're not trusting in our own righteousness, right? To have a right standing with God. We're not saying, here, God, here is, my, here is uh, some of the good works that I've done. I know it's mingled with a lot of sin and selfishness and all kinds of stuff, but you'll accept me, right? No, we, we are accepted with God completely because of what Christ has done, what He accomplished on the cross. But in order to receive the, the benefits of that saving work, God performs a work in us. Regeneration. So that we can trust in Christ. Remember the, the, uh, the Passover lamb? The, the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt and saved from judgment because they, they killed a lamb and placed the blood on the doorpost. Trick question. So was the blood on the doorpost sufficient to deliver them I gave it away. Was the sacrificial lamb's death sufficient to to deliver them from judgment? Yes and no. But the the death of the lamb by itself was insufficient. Not because there was insufficiency in the lamb. It's because the the, the blood had to be applied to the doorpost, okay? So Jesus dying 2,000 years ago will save no one until the blood of Christ is applied to the doorpost of your hearts. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He washes us with the blood of Christ. The washing of regeneration. And this is when God performs the work in us. In Acts 16, the Lord opened Lydia's heart and she attended to the words by Paul. The work that was begun in Lydia. Now, we don't always have, you know, that clarification in every testimony or example of salvation in the Bible, but we know it's underneath it and supports it. So when the jailer cries out, What must I do to be saved? Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus. And he does. Because God began a good work in the jailer. The washing of regeneration. Even as Paul in Philippians 1.29 For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. So it's given by God In the behalf of Christ, because of what Christ has secured for us. Christ has secured all spiritual blessings. That includes faith and repentance. He secured that by his death so that it can be applied. So belief in Jesus is a gift that comes to us from God. And it in orders us to participate in the gospel. Participate in receiving the benefits of the gospel and advancing the gospel. And that's the reason Paul is thanking God. I thank God that that there is this fellowship in the gospel because God began a good work in you. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But notice, God not only begins the work, He performs or completes the work. Now notice again in Philippians 1.5. I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day. Why are they having fellowship in the gospel from the first day? Because God began a good work in them. However, He says, from the first day until now, why is there continued fellowship in the gospel? Because not only did God begin the good work in you, God is also performing it. He is completing it. That word perform there is it's a, it's a future active indicative. This is what God will do. He will do this in the future. He will do this continually. He's the one that's doing it. God will perform this work. God will complete this work. God will bring it to an end. He will finish the work that He started. I am very zealous to begin new projects. I don't know if there's a one, of, one of you here this morning that can begin or have started as many works as I've started. Now, as my wife is here to testify, I don't complete Nearly the jobs that I start. In fact, most of the jobs I start are never completed. I get excited about starting something new. It's excitement. Something else grabs my attention. And I jump to something else. Or if you look on my bookshelves, Malachi, oftentimes he walks in my office and he says, Have you read all these books, Dad? No, I've just started all of them. There's a bookmark somewhere between the first third and the last third of the book. Because I I, I can start something, but I need encouragement to, to complete it. But that's not so with God. What God starts, he brings to completion. He finishes. Because he's a God who works. Who works till the very end. Think about this this God who works. Beginning the work, completing the work. Ephesians 1.11 He's a God that is active. Paul writes, In whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh. He worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. He works, He continues to work. He is working this morning to accomplish all that He has eternally purposed. Or in Ephesians 1.19, Paul's prayer is that they would experience the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Or Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. It's the, it's the work of God in us. God is at work. Throughout the Scripture, we find a God who is working. And He's completing His work. Therefore, the saints at Philippi continue to experience with Paul this fellowship in the Gospel. And that this morning is our confidence as well. Not only do we trust that God began a good work, which enabled us to treasure the gospel, we believe that God will continue to work so that we will continue to treasure the gospel, so that we'll continue to treasure Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we're, that we're always way up on the mountaintop, does it? At least not for me. But it does mean that the Holy Spirit is constantly booing me up. Booing me up when I become indifferent or apathetic. What is it that changes my direction? It's the power of God at work. There are times when I become so cold and indifferent to my Savior. And I hate it. But God renews my heart and once again enables me to see the beauty and the glory and the wonder of Christ. And it's the work of God. And He brings this to fruition. He brings it to an end. So God gets the praise ultimately because underneath our participation in the Gospel is the One who began and will complete the work in us. So let me just, by reminder, close out with with four points of, of application. So fellowship in the Gospel. I reiterate in order to be this participation in the advancement of the Gospel, there must be a trust in Christ, a belief in the Gospel, a continued belief in the Gospel. See, the Gospel is not just what we believed when we were initially converted. Trust in Christ. Continue to treasure Christ. What about you this morning? Have you believed the Gospel? Trusted In Christ for mercy. Think about the the parable that that Jesus taught the the, the publican, the tax collector, and the Pharisee. Who went to his house justified? Well, remember they both went to church or the temple. And the Pharisee stands up and he says, I thank you, God. And we say, whoa, that's wonderful. He's, a, he's, he's one that deeply appreciates God. He's giving thanks to God. But listen closely to the content of his prayer. I thank you, God, that I tie a fast twice a week. Wow, this man is religious. He's got it together. And, and, he, and he says, I'm not like all of these other sinners that I'm surrounded by. I'm not even like this tax collector over here, this, this pastate. In cahoots with Rome. And the tax collector, he just is smiting his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be propitious to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, It's the the, the tax collector, the publican, that went down to his house justified. It's amazing, isn't it? What God does. We would rejoice this morning to know that one or several of you went to your house justified. You came in condemned and the Holy Spirit worked and you trusted in Christ. You relied upon Christ and the judge of heaven said, justified, you're right with me. That's the reason people hate the message of grace. That's the reason lost people hate grace. You can't, you can't brag or boast in anything that you've done. God, can I somehow earn your favor? No. That's an abomination to try and earn my favor. When my son accomplished what he did by dying on the cross and burying my wrath. So believe on the Lord. Be Be saved. And then, having believed in Christ, we want to see the advancement of the gospel. We want to see see the other sheep that Jesus spoke of brought in through the gospel. We want the the name of Christ to be magnified. Glorified. That's a big task, isn't it? We need the, the help of the Holy Spirit. The, the banner of, of Christ waving over Madison in Huntsville, Alabama. I mean, I think God can save Alabamians. I'm from Georgia, but I think He can. Thank God I'm not like these people from Alabama. participation in the gospel that that Christ might be magnified our hearts ought to bleed with sorrow that 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 Christ is not adored it's that, that that people all around us are just indifferent to Christ how can you be indifferent to Christ well we know why because we're lost I mean we're, we're in the gospel we're setting forth this this chest that is full of treasure, gems and diamonds, gold and silver. And people are saying, yeah, it's of no value to me. Oh, that the Spirit of God would work, but He works through the proclamation. See, in this advancement of the Gospel, it's not simply enough to say, well, that's the reason we pay Mike. He does all the, the proclamation. Listen, there... If all of us, this morning, were fired up to go and proclaim the gospel, we would still be too few to win Huntsville. The Philippians were not simply helping Paul advance the gospel, participating in in that grace, but Philippians four, two and three, they they were they were joined in this fellowship by proclaiming the gospel. He writes in Philippians 4, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow labors whose names are in the book of life. But they, they were, were laboring with me in the gospel. I think there's more here than just helping advance it by their contribution. You say, brother, did you just say women were laboring with Paul in the gospel? I didn't say it. God said it. Now, obviously, we know, right? I'm a complementarian. Believe that God calls men to be pastors. Yeah, that's a given. Yeah. But, 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 All of us should be sharing our faith. Sharing the gospel. In Acts 8, when there's persecution, those that were persecuted went everywhere preaching the word. So I don't think everybody is a pastor. I don't think everybody is a missionary. I think those terms are abused. But I think all of us should be so wowed and enthralled with Christ that we're, we're taking the opportunity to share the gospel. In fact, the, the largest people group on the earth, really, that, that, that is unreached, just speaking in numbers, would be women and children. About 75% of the world, something like that. And, yes, we proclaim the gospel in a public assembly like this to reach women and children. But women can reach women individually in a way that is respectful and noble in ways that men can't. You can talk to your neighbor sisters who are wives and mothers. And you can do that. You can, you can stand across the fence and share the gospel with them for, or, or have coffee with them, right? I can't. Brother Mike can't. So there's a way in which we are all involved in this gospel proclamation. So you can't use a cop-out, God doesn't call women to preach. Can't use that. Because we find in the Bible where, where, where God is using women to, to communicate the gospel. We're all called to, to give a defense, to, to, to share the hope that is within us. Same way with children, mothers, okay, we can expand it, fathers, leading the home, leading family devotion. We want to be proclaiming the gospel, friends, in our workplace, among family members. We've all got, we all have, right? If we're honest, we all have friends, we all have family members that are unconverted. And we skip and dance around every topic other than the gospel. Why is that? So we want to be involved in proclaiming the gospel. Individually. We also want to be praying that God would advance the Gospel. Philippians 1. They were participating in the Gospel. Philippians 1.19 For I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So they were praying for Paul. And even Paul, while he's in prison, he's sharing the Gospel with, with, with you know, Soldiers that he would not have access to otherwise. So God in his providence has placed Paul in this position so that the gospel he can be proclaimed, but they're praying for Paul. We ought to be praying for, for gospel advancement. I'm afraid what's happened sometimes that we who have seen the, the era of this radical kind of extreme charisma. Charismatics, we somehow have come to the place that we feel like the Holy Spirit, he's kind of like that, that uncle that embarrasses us. We don't want to talk about him. Listen, our forefathers, they, they recognize the need, the necessity of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so many of our lives and so many of our churches need to beg God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that we are praying. We are praying. My friends, pray the promises of God that the the nations would be inherited by Christ. God Almighty has set His Son upon the holy hill of Zion. And for His inheritance, He has given the nations. Let us pray that that would come to fruition, realization in our day. Pray for that. Pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Christ would be magnified, that Christ would be held in awe by all peoples. Is your God too small to do something like that? Brothers and sisters, we pray as if our God is so small We pray like we're deist oftentimes, and I'm sorry to lump you in, but I think we're all some degree guilty of that. Just does a little bit here and there. What about pouring for the outpouring the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ has won for us. We're living in the age of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, Joel chapter 2. We're living in the age where the Holy Spirit has been poured out and poured into His people, empowering us. And I'm afraid... At least in my own experience, the reason I am paralyzed with cowardice is because the the life and the power of the Holy Spirit is not flowing in my life. And it's because I'm not beseeching God on my knees for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I know I am a little bitty man. Little bitty man. But I trust through the Spirit of God. I can serve my Christ and I can proclaim his gospel. So we need to pray, pray that the gospel would advance. There's no reason why this church should not be thinking of how you can expand your building. Isaiah 54. You know, God is saying, I'm going to to expand my church. I'm going to expand my kingdom. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out because of what Christ has done. Acts 2, Christ ascended back to heaven, and therefore the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon His people. Pray, pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us. That we would be full of the Holy Spirit. See, you read through the book of Acts, and there is this characteristic of God's people. They're full of faith and they're full of the Holy Spirit. But there's also times in which they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So this fullness of the Holy Spirit characterizes people that are that are his. Acts 6, the deacons or the, the office of what would become deacon. Those are men that are full of the Holy Spirit. But there are other times when there is this spontaneous Feeling of the Spirit, and men become something other than what they are, and they begin to proclaim the gospel in power. Mighty things happen. We need to be inflamed and empowered by the Spirit of God. Luke 11, Luke 11, Jesus said that we ought to pray. For the Holy Spirit, that, that we might receive, that we might be given the empowerment of the Spirit. Luke 11, we don't have the Spirit because we don't pray for Him. All right, so appropriate the gospel, proclaim the gospel, pray for gospel advancement, and to whatever opportunity you have, contribute to it. To help your pastors. And help faithful men that are proclaiming the gospel near and far. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning.